How many of you just realized that we just sang the Apostles' Creed? Hands up. Way up. Oh, what a crowd. Well, if you didn't know it before, now you know it. And uh, another contemporary expression of an ancient and wonderful statement of faith. Well, we're going to return to the Identity in Christ series, which we began in November. Various events caused uh, us not to complete that series, and we're going to spend a few weeks together thinking about who we are in Jesus. We began by talking about how we are children of God and confronting the almost unbelievable truth that if we are in Christ, God deeply loves you. It's stunning reality, but it's who we are. It's, who, it's what we become. Then we we looked at John 15, and we talked about the fact that Jesus calls us not slaves, but his friend, or his friends, that he has revealed the inner secrets of God to us, that we might participate in them. Phenomenal, remarkable truth. And then, just to kind of put a weird spin on the whole thing, the following Sunday, we looked at Luke 17, and we read a parable in which Jesus teaches about how we are his slaves, and that we just exist to do the master's business. That's, That's why we're here. And I I want to take it a step further today, and I want to tell you this, that for we who have come to faith in Jesus, and this is the qualifier, I mean, i got to be honest with you, for we who are in Christ, for we who have come to that place of believing in Him as the Son of God, believing that when He died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, something powerful happened so that we might have our sin forgiven, we confess that we enter into relationship with Christ, we ask Him into our lives, He becomes not only our Savior but our Lord, we yield our lives to Him by faith, literally, Um, when we come to that place, yes, we are the children of God deeply loved. We are the friends of of Christ. We are the slaves of God. But you know what else we are? And I'm glad you're all sitting down because it's this. We become saints. Saints. Now, a lot of you probably will have mental images conjured up which would keep you from believing that. You would resist the idea. Because for a lot of people, a saint is someone who has lived this exemplary godly life and, and who has done miraculous things for God in his or her lifetime. And you would look at yourself and say, well, that's not necessarily me. Um, we, we come to that place where we have this idea that it is those who are unique and special and somehow different. We think of St. Paul and St. Peter and all these remarkable people. But I am here today, based on the Word of God, to tell you that if you are in Christ, if you are a follower of His, if He dwells in you and you love Him and you are living for Him with your whole heart, you are a saint, according to Scripture. I'm going to prove it to you, okay? It's like we're going to do a Bible study today. We're going to dig into the text and see what it has to say. So I want you to have an open mind, Okay? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 in the ESV says this, our jumping off point for this. Paul's beginning his letter to the Ephesian church, and it's his introduction. Paul, an apostle of Christ uh, Jesus by the will of God to the, say it with me, saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is writing to every single person who belongs to that church and who claims the name of Jesus, the faithful who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't create a different category for the more spiritual ones. He says, no, if you are in the Ephesian church, if you are faithfully following the Lord Jesus because of the faith that dwells in you, you're a saint. That's just the way it is. Some people might say, I don't believe you, Chris. That's not enough. Philippians chapter 1, next book in the Bible, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the... Thank you, and Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Interesting comment for us today. He's like saying, to all the saints who are the church, and even the elders and leaders of the church, even them, 
I'll, I'll include them in the, in the categorization of saint. And it's the same in Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Um, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. The apostle Paul didn't have any question about who were the saints in the church. He says, everyone who claims the name of Jesus and believes in him is a saint. Human tradition has added a lot to this over a couple of millennia. Uh, and, and, and what has happened is and, and, uh, that certain individuals are somehow elevated and, and given greater status and called saints. The Roman Catholic Church is, is a church which still does this. There's a process where people are nominated, and usually, I think, always after their death, if I'm not mistaken, and they are, their lives are investigated, and if they've been godly people and they've performed, participated in miracles, sometimes they are designated as saints, the Bible says we're all saints, not just the special few. And I want to explain this to you, and I want you to get, I want, I want you to get to a place in your life, like if you could walk out of here today saying, I'm a saint. I'd like that, because I would like to know you to know who you, who you are in Christ, what your identity is in Jesus, all right? Here's, here's essentially the, bit, the, the meaning as we dig into it. The New Testament was written, as many of you will know, primarily in, in Greek, Koine Greek it was called. And the word saint is basically the same word as, I mean, it's, it's almost exactly the same word as the phrase holy ones. So in, in a lot of modern translations, these texts that I've read to you, and we'll show Ephesians 1 verse 1 in the New, Interna New Living Translation, uh, doesn't say saint, it says something a little different. This letter from Paul is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people. The ESV says saints, God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. And if you turn to the New Living Translation in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, it'll say holy people. And if you turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it'll say holy people. It's the same concept. A saint is a holy person. But even that, I'm sure a lot of you will, will balk at. Say, wait a minute, Chris. <laughs> you don't know me. If you knew me, you wouldn't be calling me a holy one. You don't know how I think. You don't know the desires of my heart. You don't know what I do, maybe regularly or on occasion. <laughs> if you did, you wouldn't be calling me a saint. You wouldn't be calling me a holy one. You'd be calling me something way different than that. But I want to tell you the holy scripture. If you are in Christ, calls you a holy one. Calls you a saint. It just is what this is about, and I want to take you to, to Ephesians 1 again, verses 3 and 4, and I want, you to, I want you to grapple with this, all right? All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. And of course, if you'll remember, that's the foundation of this series. We have been united with Christ. We're in him, and he is in us. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ. Say it with me. To be holy and without fault, and here's the key phrase, in his eyes. Before the world was created, God chose you to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So as God perceives you, as God looks at you, he sees holiness and faultlessness. Now I gotta tell you, this is this is huge. This is huge for us to grapple with and, and understand. 
Because so many people come into the presence of God, and I keep hitting this, and I hope someday every single one of you gets it deeply and transformatively. But when people come into the presence of God, they often do, and they're feeling guilty, and they're feeling shame because of sin, and they confess their sin, and it's all groveling. And Now, if we, can, if we sin, we should confess our sin. I get that. We're called to it. It's important. But I want to tell you, when you come into the presence of God, the Father who has chosen us in Christ, what he sees through his eyes is someone who is holy a holy one, a saint, and someone who is without fault. Other translations say faultless because, you see, you are caught up in Christ. You are united to him. You are bound to him by faith. He is in you. You are in him. And when God the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, the purity of Jesus, the sinlessness of Jesus. It's phenomenal. That's why, my friends, as Scripture says, we can come into the throne room of God with boldness, not groveling, because of what Christ has done. See, here's the thing. The most important thing to grasp about holiness is that it is not about what we have done. It's not about how we have lived, what we think, you know, about our behavior, but about God and what God has done to make us holy in Christ. He has united us to the Lord Jesus so that he sees us in and through the Lord Jesus himself and Christ's holiness. So what's being described here in these texts is not so much about how we live, it's about, and and please hold on to this phrase, it's about our standing before God. We are given in Christ this standing, this position of holiness before the Lord. That's just reality. Now whether we live that out or not is a different question. But when you want to understand biblical holiness, understand this, because that's where it all begins. Let me me just, I'm going to hammer this home very quickly. 1 Peter 1, verse 2, it makes it so powerful. We'll be popping between these two uh, chapters today. God the Father knew that you and chose you long ago. You, You see how that keeps coming up, by the way? I hope you celebrate this fact. Before the creation of the world, the previous passage says here it's long ago. God chose you to be his. And his spirit has made you holy it's the action of god in our lives as a result you have obeyed him and been cleansed by the blood of jesus christ it's because of our standing it's because of what god has done in uniting us with christ our behavior flows from that and we'll talk about that later but first and foremost holiness being a saint (laughs) being faultless in the eyes of god is all because of what god has done in your life and it is a done deal So I can stand up here and say, hi, St. Joe. Hi, St. Mike. St. Joan. I could go on. St. Christopher, you know, that's the way it is. It's who we are. It's what God has accomplished in our lives. Let me define then, having that understanding, what holiness is biblically. I'm going to give you a little phrase, and it's simply this. It means being set apart for God. Set apart for God as his holy ones. Um... Let me, let me ask you this question. If we are, are set apart for God, what are we set apart from? Mental processing, I hope. What do you think? If we, are, if we are set apart for God, what are we set apart from? What the Bible says is we are set apart from the world, from everything and everybody else. That God comes into our lives by his spirit and he moves in us by his spirit in such ways that we open our lives to him and we become his and we are given that holy standing before the Lord in Christ. And all of a sudden he takes us from the world and he brings us over here and he makes us what First Peter again calls part of a holy nation. 
a holy people, a people of God set apart from the world, distinct and different for the Lord. See, we're, we're taken from the world so that we can be his. And the second key little word in that, that statement, we're set apart for, from, God, for, from the world for God, is the word for God, for, for. We're, it's a powerful thought. It's, it's a life-transforming dynamic when we take hold of it. We, my friends, exist for our God. So says scripture, if indeed we are his. Um, let me ask you this question. And, and it's a question that we don't normally process explicitly. It's very powerful in our lives because each of us has an answer to this question. We just don't tend to think very much about it. But what do you live for? What do you live for? Um, I've kind of taken note of what I hear said uh, about these things. And, and, and here's a little phrase that I'm sure you'll be familiar with. There are some people who live to work, and there are people who work to live. Heard the phrase? Who knows that one? There. All of your arms are broken, I see. Your heads are in good shape, but your arms are broken. The people who live to work are people who love their work. They're passionate about it. It, it becomes their priority. It becomes their heart's desire to give themselves to that thing so they can make a difference in this world. They live for work. And then the other folks, the people who don't live for work, they, they work to live. It's almost like work is not that important to them, but it's a means to an end. The, 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 the job allows them to develop an income so that they can do what they really want to do, which is to enjoy and to have fun. What do they live for? They live for fun, good times, you know? Enjoy life, you know? Means to an end, not an end in itself. You know, I hear, I hear parents, uh, very often younger couples, will say something like this. At this point in life, I'm living for my kids. I just am. You know, I'm living for them. Because their kids are their priority, their kids are their focus, their kids are their passion, their kids are their... It's their heart's desire to love these kids and bring them up well. That's what they live for. Here's one that, uh, you know, my crowd is saying a little more, and it kind of dates me a little bit, tells you how old I am. But I hear some people, I'm not saying this, huh? but I hear some people saying, I, I'm living for retirement. You know, I get another 10 years or whatever, five years, and, and then I can retire. And I'm doing things now to put that retirement in place so I can really enjoy it. In other words, I'm sacrificing now. I'm not really enjoying life the way that I could, but I'm, I want that to be, to be great. So I'm living for that day when it comes. It's their passion. It's their focus. It's their desire. And into this world of, of many things and reasons to live, many things to live for, the word of God comes with his message of holiness. And he says, if you have been set apart from the world, you have been set apart for God. He is the one for whom you will now live. This, is, this defines holiness. He's your heart's desire. He's your priority. He's your passion. You know, th th there is something deep within you that, that just wants to, to live for God, to do his work. To, to, to honor him, to love him, to serve him in any way that you can. And again, let me say this. We are holy whether we actually live that out or not. But that is who we are. Set apart from the world to live for God. You know, what I, what I want to say is, if you haven't grasped it yet, this teaching of Scripture about holiness has dramatic and radical implications for how we live. I'm going to get there. It's a big deal if we really take it seriously because life is no longer about me or what I have previously lived for. It's about God honoring him, pleasing him, serving him, loving him, doing his will. 
It's our passion, it's our focus, it's our priority, it's our desire. Because we have come into a relationship with this one named Jesus who has given his all for us and who has loved us and who has died for us that we might know this experience of life in God that is incredible and phenomenal and, 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 and remarkably good. Some people will say in response to this, you know, Chris, and I've heard this lots of times, but it's so hard to know what God really wants. It's so hard to know the, what the will of God is. I preached this at 9 o'clock, and then I talked to somebody in the foyer, you know what they said? Chris, it's hard to know the will of God. And here's what I said in the first service, and then I gave it to him. When I hear that kind of thing, and it's not uncommon... I'm usually pretty loving and gracious and pastoral in how I respond and help people kind of move along little bit by little bit. But you know what's really going on inside me? I'll be really honest with you. There's this voice saying, that's absolute nonsense. It's not true. It's not hard to know the will of God. Because 90 to 95% of the will of God is written in the book. You want to know the will of God, you just pick up the book, you open it up, you read it, and he'll tell you what he wants you to do. Like, like look at Romans... Romans chapter 12 is a fantastic verse. Let's pop it up. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. This is the all-in for God and his purposes because of all he has done for you. Let them be our bodies. And in the Greek mind, by the way, it's not just our physical bodies. It's our whole being. There's a different thought there in the Greek mind compared to our Western thinking. So your whole being is, let them be a living and holy sacrifice set apart for God, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. And that happens through reading and understanding the mind of God in Scripture. Then you will learn to know what God's will is to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. As our minds are transformed by the power and truth of Scripture and the Holy Spirit working in us as we live in this book, we will then know the will of God, so says the text. It's not that hard. Look at the rest of this chapter. It goes on to say, basically, have a very realistic assessment of yourself and your giftedness, and then do what God has gifted you to do, the spiritual gifts of the Bible. And it says if, you're, if you've been gifted to teach, teach. If you've been gifted to, to lead, then lead. If you've been gifted to serve, serve. If you've been gifted to give, then give. And on it goes. That's not hard. Figure out who you are in Christ. Figure out what God has called you to do, what your spiritual gifts are. And then go do it. Easy. And then it goes on in the chapter and it says, um, let me just zone in here. What else does it say? It says, you know, to love one another sincerely. We're to love each other in the body of Christ. And then it says that we are to, to, um, to work hard for the Lord and to serve him enthusiastically. Do you do that? Don't walk around asking me what the will of God is. Just go do that. You'll discover the will of God. It'll be good. It'll be pleasing. It'll be perfect. It'll be an awesome life, so promises Scripture. And then the text says, you know, you need to help needy people. This is all Romans 12. And then you have to practice hospitality. And then you have to bless, for, bless and pray for people who have persecuted you. Anybody lost that right now as what the will of God is for your life? The Bible's full of the will of God. Just go read the book and then do it. And you'll be living out that call of God's people who have been set apart for God to live in a particular and a unique way. I want to tell you, do those things and you'll be different in this world. It's not the same as what the, the way the world does things. Pray for people who persecute me. Turn around and bless them even though they've hurt me. Yeah, that's God's will for you and for me. You know, practice hospitality, help needy people. I don't have time. I'm not interested in those folks. Nah. It's the will of God for you and for me. 
right? It's just there. Now, I want, I want us to realize that when we are taken from the world, set apart from the world for God, and when we start to do these things as God has clearly instructed us to do, as we embrace his will for our lives, we will start to be very different in this world. You know that. We're going to start to stick out like sore thumbs because we're not going to think like the world. We're not going to act like the world. We're not going to do the things that the world does. And it's all an aspect of holiness. God setting apart a people, forming for himself a people to worship him, to love him, to serve him, to live before him according to his thought, his mind, his heart, his priorities, his passions, his desires. And we will be different than the world from which we have come. We will not be the same. That, my friends, at a very basic level, is the reality of holiness. When we start to talk about what God's will is, what it does is then take us to the second idea of holiness. One is set apart for God. Second idea is this in the Bible of holiness, that those who are set apart for God need to live very different lives on a personal level. And this is where the whole discussion of morality comes into play. Yes, we have been set apart for God. Yes, he has chosen us. Yes, we are holy. But now we have to start to play out that reality. We have to start to live it. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. And get ready to get blown away. So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. In other words, that day is coming. Look forward to it and, and, and be prepared for it and live for it. Next verse. Oh, so <laughs> you must live as God's obedient children. As a result of what's coming, because of who you are, live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. Don't live now as if you used to live before you were called out of the world for God. Before, you know, we all used to live in a certain way before we were set apart from the world for God. Paul Peter's saying, don't go back to that. That's the way the world thinks. That's the way the world acts. That's, that's not of Christ. That's not of God. Live according to my will and my, my plan and my desire. Then he says, you didn't know any better then. And that's true, but now we do, right? Next verse. But now you must be, and there's that word again, holy. And here we go. In everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says you must be holy because I am holy. Now guys, leave that text up for a minute. I, I want to suggest this to you. Another thing I've noted people saying, even Christian folks, is this. You know, the church has to get with the times. Ever heard anyone say that? Church has to kind of keep in step with, with the culture. The culture is changing and developing and growing. We've got to keep in step with the culture. Stay relevant, if you would. And we've got to do things the way they do things. And, and very often I hear the comment when it comes to issues regarding sexuality. You know, whether people are living together before marriage or not, or the question of, you know, as our denomination is, is tackling now, the, the, you know, homosexual activity and whether that's right or not and so forth. And, and the idea is, you know, we've got to move with the culture because otherwise we'll get, a, you know, we'll get irrelevant to the culture and no one will listen to us anymore. You know what the Bible says? Well, I'm going to quote, quote to you again Romans 12, chapter 1 and 2. Well, verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think differently. Think like God. That you will know the will of God, the good, perfect, and pleasing will of God. My friends, what the Bible says is don't keep in step with the world. Don't just do what the world is doing. Instead, we have a different path to walk. Instead of becoming like the world, who are we to become like in our thinking, in our acting? Just as God who chose you is holy, be holy in everything you do just as he is holy. We have to become not like the world, but like God. And the Lord thinks differently. He is holy. He is unique. He is different. It defines the reality of holiness. And what we have to do is go to this book, this divinely inspired book, through which the mind and the heart of God is revealed to humanity. And we have to figure out what he thinks and allow it to transform our minds so that we no longer conform to the pattern of the world, but we are transformed into being holy people who live according to our status in Jesus. As those who are set apart for God. So what does that mean? This is big time. This is significant stuff. What it means is that we have to look at our lives and say, Lord, how can I be holy in the various areas of my life, in every area of my life? How about this one? We have to be holy in terms of how we use our money. And I'm not just talking about whether we'll tithe it or not, giving 10% to God, which is what we believe and preach here and speak to. I'm talking about 100% of your money and my money, because it's not our money, it's God's money. Everything. We have to use it in a holy way. Set apart from the world for God. So you going to buy, maybe buy a new home. You go and go to the Lord and say, Lord, is this your will for me? And you spend time in his presence and God's Holy Spirit speaks and he defines what the Lord wants for you to do and you do it if, if indeed he calls you to do it. Set apart for him. You buy the house he wants you to buy, not the house you want to buy. And you can apply that to many purchases, by the way, even smaller ones. What about this one? Our use of time. Every single person in this room today determines their own schedule. We all have 24 hours a day, and we all use those hours based on what we are living for, if you would. And we all get to choose whether we will be holy in the allocation of our time to accomplish the things that God wants or not. I want to tell you, my friends, we have to be holy in how we use our time because we are set apart from the world for God to serve him and to love him and to accomplish his purposes in this world. We're called to be holy in that way. What about this? Uh, can we be holy in our language, in our speech? There's a way the world speaks and there's a way that those who follow Jesus are to speak. It's distinct, it's different, it's rooted in Scripture there's a holiness to it, or we, as the Bible says, reject profanity and, what's the term? Coarse language. How about the way we dress? You know, sometimes, I don't watch these, you know, fashion shows on TV where you have the very thin women walking down the aisle, you know, and slim, slim. <laughs> but I look at those, I look at those sometimes and I'm flipping by, and what's the word? Haute couture? And I look at what these people are wearing and I think, what went on in the mind of the person who, divide, the, who designed that dress? Like, I can't, for the life of me, figure out why someone would design it, never mind why someone would wear it. 
But that's a personal taste thing, I suppose. But you know what the Bible says? That we need to be holy in how we dress. We're no longer part of the world. We've been called from it to live for God. And the Bible says, be modest in how you dress. And I think maybe, can I say it this way? It's probably there's lots we could talk about. But the world says, get everybody to look at you and your various body parts. I won't go farther than that. And like celebrate you and how wonderful you are and all glory goes to me. And we walk into the kingdom of God, into this standing of holiness before the Lord, and God says, no, all glory goes through you to me. So you be modest in how you dress. It's not all about you and attracting attention and glory and praise to yourself. Live in such a fashion, speak in such a fashion, use your resources and organize your time in such a fashion, and dress in such a fashion that glory comes to me. See how different this is? It's dramatic. How, how we run our businesses. Lots of business owners and people who are in leadership in business in this uh, church community, which is fabulous, such capable people who are here. Do you know we have to be holy in how we run our businesses? Do you know that? And I'm going to spend time on this at some point, I really think. I'm, I'm being nudged toward it, I think, by God, because it's so important that we learn how to live as godly, holy people out there. But what this comes to is that the, the only thing, we can't allow the only thing in business, the only priority in business, to be making money. Business exists to make money. I don't have a problem making money. But that can't be the only thing for those who are in Christ. The dignity of people is an incredibly important thing in our practice of business, for example. We have got to go to God and we've got to take the principles of Scripture and we've got to apply them to our business lives, our engagement with the world, and let, let them transform our minds and the way we live while we're at work, even when we're running that business. And you know what? The glory will go to God. The glory will go to God. This last one, I, I need to bring it up. Sometimes I hesitate because it's so... You know, um, I, I don't want to bring it up so much that people get turned off by it, but it, it regards sexuality. Um, in Scripture, and I believe in our culture, sexuality is an alternate God. Um, it becomes an idol in the lives of human beings very often, and that's why so, so often it's mentioned in the Bible. And we have to be holy when it comes to how we exercise our sexuality. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 8 says this. God's will, there it is, holy ones, you who are saints. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. It's a big deal to God. It's a big deal to uh, Paul who wrote Thessalonians. Um, and by the way, it's not how we define sexual sin, it's how God defines sexual sin. Understand that, Okay. And that's pretty clearly taught in Scripture. And the culture is powerful, and it's telling us a lot of things that Scripture says. The world is telling us a lot of things that Scripture says are not really true or are nonsense. And then there's the whole world of the kingdom of God and the will of God, where God says, live this way and you'll find life. This is my will for you. It's good, it's perfect, it's pleasing. So, back to the text. Stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. Not in lustful passion like the pagans over here who do not know God and his ways. We don't function that way. 
Never harm or cheat a Christian brother in this matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins. Serious comment, as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure ones. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching. This is serious stuff, but is rejecting God. Oh, well, Chris thinks, you know, no sex before marriage. It says it in the Bible. You know, living together before marriage, you know, not a good idea. That's part of this. You're not rejecting human teaching, but rejecting, and it's not even God's teaching that's being rejected. It's rejecting God as God who gives you his Holy Spirit. My friends, in all this, I want to tell you, when we take hold of what God calls us to do, such as the things I've just mentioned, no living together before marriage, no sexuality outside the covenant relationship of marriage which has been organized and given by God himself through his church, we're going to be different people. You get that? Different. You know, people who choose not to engage intimately before marriage. And I've heard of such folks, they tell me they're considered kind of weird by their counterparts in this culture because it's so common to do otherwise. So common. People who choose to not live together prior to marriage, you know, the world just can't figure it out. Like, why not? Like, what's the problem? You love each other, just do it. Just, yeah. And God comes along and he says, follow me and I will lead you to life. This is the way of, of God for you. This is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God for you. But when people choose to do the, the things according to Scripture, according to the mind of God, because their hearts and minds have been transformed and, and, and they have come to understand what God desires for them, we just end up looking weird. Do you know that? We ought to look weird. Listen to me, the more our culture moves away from a knowledge of God, think about this, the more our culture moves away from a knowledge of God and His holiness, the more different we are going to become. Considered weird by some, laughed at, mocked, even persecuted, probably. If it's not happening now in your life, it will, I would think, soon if you will be a faithful follower of Jesus. But at the same time, I want to tell you, the Bible says we can become a city on a hill. Which at first people might look at and go, what are those people thinking? But as they experience the downfalls of human thinking, faulty thinking, broken hearts, broken relationships, and they look at the church of Christ who has embraced the way of Jesus, they will see something incredibly good happening on, uh, in that city, on that hill. And those people will want to become part of something that God has ordained and God has created and God has called us to. For over here, you see, we're going to find that good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And it will provide for us life and life eternal. I want to make this comment, and I want you to hear it. Our time is gone. A lot of people would hear a call to holiness and go, Oh, cringe. Oh, no. not Oh, I don't want to be holy. Because there's some kind of twisted belief that life over here is better. That this life is the life that produces fun and, 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 and joy, and, and this, is the, this is the best that life can offer. You know what the Bible says? That's not true. 
And I would encourage every single person here to reject that lie. What the Bible says is if we come to know the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God, when we start to live out our holiness based on the reality of our position before God and in Christ, there we will find life like never before. This is where life exists. This is where joy and peace and goodness reigns in people's lives. And I am here today to call you saints who have been given a position of holiness in the sight of God to tell you that's who you are, but I am also here to call you biblically to a life of holiness. To live in reality, to express it in terms of that which God has already made you as saints in Christ. Here's how I want to end today. This might be a little different for some of you. I don't know you all, of course, but I'm going to take a minute of silence in this place. Um, One minute, and I want you in that minute to, in prayer, just quietly say to the Lord, God, tell me one thing that I could change about my life right now that would allow me to take a step further into holy living before you. For some people, it might be, okay, there's some things I have to stop doing. I have to give up that behavior that's not of God. For other people, it might be, there's some things I need to start doing. (laughs) Service, loving, use use of money, whatever. I've given you lots of examples today. But in in this quiet place, you know, the Lord by His Spirit has promised to be with us as we gather together. He's willing to speak into your mind. So I'm going to pray. We're going to literally give 60 seconds to this. It might feel like a long time. If you don't want to do it, don't bother. Just kind of respect the rest of us as we do. But will you listen for the quiet voice of God to speak into your mind? Just give attention to where your mind goes. Because God might give you a thought that's not of you. That's our hope. And just listen to the still, small voice of God speak so that you know how to live in obedience to what he's saying into your lives here today. So let's pray. Let's give that moment of uh, that minute of silence of listening prayer to God, and then we'll conclude with a song. Gracious God, um, boy, you've blessed us so dramatically. You've made us holy, those of us who are in Christ. Um, Father, you you call us to take steps uh, to actualize the position that you have given to us, to make it real. And our God, we would pray in this moment of silence that now you would speak to each one of us. Come, Holy Spirit, and in the still, small voice with which you speak, let us hear from God now so that we know what we might do and must do in order to embrace holiness in a new way. Hear us now, Lord, as we pray, and let us hear from you.
Gracious God, continue to speak. Continue to guide us as we move toward holiness and how we live. Let us be truly holy ones before you. 